You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's guest speaker, we have Andrew Miller, co-founder at Skiff. And in this episode, we'll talk about Skiff fundraising. They've recently raised $3.7 million. And in this episode, we'll talk about that fundraising, how exactly they're planning to spend $3.7 million. And if uh, Andrew's CS degree from Stanford helped him during the fundraising process. So Andrew, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Skiff. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Constantine. So I'm Andrew. I'm one of two co-founders and the CEO of Skiff. Uh, so Skiff, for a one-sentence description, is an end-to-end encrypted privacy-first collaboration platform. So a lot of the privacy of Signal or WhatsApp or you know other private messaging products built into the way we collaborate and work together. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the, the quick background. As you mentioned, we, we did a seed round. It actually ended up being, in the end, a bit above $4 million. Um, you know, actually most of that a year ago, and then kind of added a little from angel investors. And so uh, happy to kind of go into either of that breakdown. Yeah, let's start with that fundraising. So it's been over 4 million, my bad. Uh, sometimes Crunchbase confuses me slightly. <laughs> uh, but let's go talk about that. Uh, where yeah. do you find the money? Yeah, so I'll, uh, you know, to give you kind of the kind of time breakdown, we started Skiff initially in April 2020, you know, which was a great time for the global economy. Uh, this was after, Absolutely. you know, a few months of, yeah, I know. I mean, a few months of kind of working on it independently, just, you know, in our spare time and then, you know, quitting our jobs and starting to work on it full time. So we spent a few months just working part time after work then started the company in April and went full time. And a few months into that, I'd say like late June, 2020, July, 2020, we were at the point where one, you know, we had spent kind of enough of our own money and where it seemed like doing a real seed round would really accelerate the growth. And so um, that was kind of how the decision evolved. And then, you know, of course, I'm sure we could get deep into the actual process of, of what that looked like. Absolutely. We will. So let's talk about something that happened actually prior to your fundraising, which is uh, you actually turning down a few investment offers that you had before you decided to open up the round. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit why did you do this and how exactly did you get approached by investors? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the initial elements of that were just through people that, you know, I had known, you know, older colleagues or mentors from work or, you know, being in the tech industry, there was a relatively close exposure to people who did some investing either personally or, you know, knew some early stage investors. So we're talking about some of the traditional like accelerator programs in a, you know, a few different areas or just people who are willing to write personal checks. Um, so, you know, we didn't really end up going in that direction because I think we didn't really need it at the time. It didn't feel like, you know, getting kind of uh, doing a really small pre-seed round would either like enable us to, to open up big opportunities or where, you know, like we needed a few more months of runway to kind of really keep going. It really felt like we, you know, we had each kind of spent a bit of our own money and we kind of reached our tolerance there and then realized like, you know, we, we want to hire kind of a real team, spend a couple of years on this. And that was the motivation for waiting a little longer and then going to a real seed round. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It does. So let's talk about the seed round when you finally decided to start reasoning when you started talking to those investors. Yeah. Question is, did your computer science degree from Stanford actually help? <laughs> did anyone ask you a question about that? 
Yeah, I have a few thoughts there. Um, so one is being very kind of technically focused and computer science focused helped a ton, uh, you know, in a million different ways. One, because our product is a technical product. So building a collaboration platform and knowing how to program was pretty essential. And so my co-founder and I, and, you know, Jason is also great at design. And so we could kind of be uh, a great kind of engineering team and really like a force multiplier with engineering, some engineering skills and some design skills and some, you know, infrastructure skills too. So at a basic sense, you know, experience in engineering helped a ton and having a degree in computer science uh, is definitely part of that. The actual kind of Stanford element of that was just through kind of the connections and organic relationships you build. So that ended up being a really big part of our seed round where people I had actually worked with in classes or, you know, people they knew ended up being some of our early investors and, you know, those relationships and trust um, were really critical. Nice. Yep. That's a decent answer to that question. Uh, so you mentioned that it seems like from your response that your co-founder is also technical, right? Yes. Jason is also technical. Jason mm -hmm. uh, studied electrical engineering and computer science and you know knows a lot about design as well. Mm -hmm. So from what I know, most investors are trying to find this kind of uh, tandem of a business person slash a uh, the other co-founder has to be technical, so it has to be two different skill sets. Do you have any issues explaining to investors that, you know, even though we're both technical, we're not going to have any problems with the business side? Did you have any problems with that? Or do you just, you know, whatever, that, it's you're, you're technical, you're building technical products, you'll figure something out business-wise later on. That's a really good question. I think uh, in actually running the company, there's been a lot of ramping up on the, on different business areas. So from growth, you know, how do you get thousands of people to be interested in your product or even know about it? How do you do user research and experience interviews really effectively? And then, you know, how do you actually sell a product to organizations and individuals? We've kind of learned that as we're going, but really the first year, first year and a half is all engineering, you know, engineering interviews, engineering mm -hmm. recruiting, engineering design, and engineering implementation. And, you know, I'd say the bottleneck for so many startups is hiring engineers and two engineering co-founders are like the first two members of that engineering team. And that was so helpful. That is very true. I've seen a bunch of weird Twitter tweets about, you know, uh, absolutely absurd amounts of money that people are paying on for just the sign-on bonus for engineers. So really? yeah, that, that is very much understandable and very interesting. We're going to touch onto that slightly later on. Um, the most recent subject that we started discussing on fundraising radio is how yeah. did you decide to spend the first money after you just closed the round? So you know, after you officially closed it, you're like, okay, we raised four point something million dollars. What were the first couple steps that you took? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the biggest cost center for a remote startup in the middle of 2020 was definitely hiring. And mm -hmm. so we, you know, we brought on a bunch of, uh, my co-founder and I were our recent college grads. And so we brought on a bunch of interns that we knew from, from Stanford and from other schools who were wonderful. And that, you know, was a great use of money to build our product. We hired a couple of more senior engineers and that, you know, took time. And then we also just gradually, and this took months, just expanded our team to work with people who are like specialists in certain areas too. So the text editor in our product is like one kind of open source editor framework that has a really kind of amazing community around it. And so we started to hire people in that open source community and some others to work with us as well. And that was, you know, a great choice and a really kind of great use of, of the seed funding. 
nice yes hiring from open source is one of the ways people are solving the you know uh, lack of engineering yeah. type of issue very nice approach to that um let's touch on to the engineers slash interns can you tell us a little more about that how did you why did you decide to go within with interns specifically and was it worth it because from what i know some founders try to go through interns because i mean it's cheap sometimes it's completely free but also sometimes it just requires a ton of time and sometimes yeah. doesn't pay off how did it work out with you yeah that's a great question and i think transferable to other people i think the interns that we try to hire and we find, we try and basically hire interns who could be professional engineers, you know, between one and many years into their careers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's super uncommon. And it's not just, you know, it's, it's at all engineering schools, you can find students like this, but people who love programming in their free time, they've done projects, they've done hackathons. And so we really tried to focus on that. And so we found students from all over the country from, you know, the US and Canada and other places, you know, as much as we can hire. And I'll be honest, the real special circumstances are this was April 2020 and everyone was, you know, leaving schools in a frenzy, not sure if they were going to come back for the next year, you know, summer internship plans all over the place, internships canceled it by big companies, you know, or, you know, you're forced to kind of sit at home. And so, you know, it was one, we knew a lot of people of this age. And so we were in some sense limited to that, but it was a huge opportunity to just start working with an amazing team of, you know, engineers who were excited and, you know, that, that may be a once in a lifetime, like engineering migration, but it was definitely part of the founding story. Nice. Very cool. Quick, quick follow up on that. How yeah. exactly did you find those interns in terms of, you know, you mentioned that people who are going to hackathons, doing projects, where did you find them? How did you reach out to them? Yeah, some more personal connections. I either knew from planning. So my co-founder and I actually met planning Stanford's hackathon tree hacks. So we found some through there or people we had met at hackathons. Um, others, uh, that's a really good question. Um, we started going to some schools career fairs. So okay. we would just show up there and start up career fairs. And that was super interesting. And, you know, you say we're five people and, you know, some people get really scared by that and some people get really excited. So that was fun. And, uh, a couple of our investors also helped. So one of our investors called Neo runs a fellowship for, I think, engineering focused college students. And, you know, they ran some events realizing that, you know, all of those people are looking for new jobs or internships or figuring out the next year. And so startups were a meaningful way to do that. Right. So in the mid of 2021, do you still have interns or do you decide to, you know, just stick with full-time employees? <laughs> we do. Uh, we still have nice. four interns and they're okay. all wonderful. Um, most are, you know, still doing technical work, but some we have uh, also doing all sorts of different growth stuff and product stuff and, you know, really important things there too. Got it. Very, so really very positive cool. on interns. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I have pretty much the same experience. So yeah, 100% on the <laughs> same page with you here. Uh, all right, let's talk about fundraising once again. Uh, on our pre-interview call, you mentioned that uh, your bag by Sequoia is, of course, on your website. It has to be there. <laughs> so <laughs> can you tell us how did you get in touch with Sequoia? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So it was actually through a computer science class I took four or five years ago. Okay. Um, you know, I was kind of in class sitting next to during office hours many times, uh, a good friend of mine who ended up kind of going into venture capital. He was, I think, you know, a graduate student at the time. And, you know, this is four or five years later, then is uh, a partner at Sequoia and was just, you know, someone I reached out to when I realized that we really needed funding. And uh, he kind of 
you know, got us in the door and we started kind of meeting the rest of the team and doing, you know, the pitch stuff and, and all of that. Nice. Very interesting. So since we spoke a lot about recruitment, let's talk about your recruitment of the co-founder or your co-founder's yeah. recruitment of you. How did you <laughs> meet each other? Was it through university as well? Oh, this is a great question. And it's really tough when, you know, one person or a couple of people have an idea and they want to get started. So mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I met Jason through planning Treehacks, Stanford's Hackathon. Jason did all of the design for Treehacks and I did a bunch of other stuff. Um, so we met, we kind of ended up being in some classes together over the next couple of years from uh, a blockchain, blockchain class to an art history class. And so I realized Jason had very complementary skills, you know, engineering and design, and also was just someone I trusted, you know, really could vibe with, et cetera. The, you know, again, the weird circumstances, this is April, 2020. And so originally I was stuck in New York, Jason was in California. And so I was kind of talking to people in New York and seeing where things would go physically. But then, you know, when everyone went home and went crazy, uh, we just started working together and it, you know, it just kind of figured itself out. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool story. And again, university, <laughs> it had helped you quite a bit here. Um, let's talk about once again fundraising. Going back back and forth yeah. to that subject. Uh, so this is the first company that you're launching, Steve. It's the very very first company that you're launching, at least from my understanding. Yeah. How do investors react to this? Yeah, I mean, now being a year into it, you learn so much in starting a company, mm -hmm. how to interview people, how to hire people, how to deploy products, how to do a UX interview. So, you know, there is definitely a big learning curve. I think uh, the reaction to starting a company there, you know, there was definitely a realization of that. But I think the skills that, you know, got us through the door and eventually into a really successful kind of seed round were just, you know, kind of really intense work ethic around building technical products. So I had run a lot of, you know, websites in my past and some open source products. And so there was like clearly a realization that, you know, my co-founder and I could build products. And so that, you know, that was great reception. Um, and also I think just, you know, there was frankly like good timing around collaboration and privacy and working together. And so, you know, two people who are deeply passionate about this stuff and can build products you know, at the worst case, they'll build something. And so maybe there was a little <laughs> uncertainty on the business side. <laughs> Definitely the third business co-founder, but no, no, <laughs> no, no, never mind, never mind. Um, let's talk about what you've learned. Uh, you know, looking back at your very, very much beginnings, what yeah. were the major mistakes that you've made there very, very early on? That's, yeah, critical thing to learn. Um, so a few things. One is just like the speed of iteration on all sorts of stuff. So on you know, every engineering decision we make, we should have run by users earlier. And I don't mean like product decisions. We were good about doing user interviews, you know, you know, Y Combinator processes, lean startup, mm -hmm. all that stuff. But it was deeper things like how are you architecting systems for the future? And we ended up kind of building really sophisticated systems in some places where we could have simplified. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that was, you know, one thing that could have made things faster. The other is just like speeding up processes around the company and hiring. So hiring, like we should have started working with, you know, an external recruiting firm or, you know, done a lot of like the tricks of reaching out to your friends and giving them referral bonuses and incentivizing that. And just like building that vocabulary took time and like we still do it today. Also just learning how to give offers really effectively and kind of close candidates and send them to speak to the right people and have the right information. All of that is just, you know, uh, a learning process. Um, 
I think last areas are just, you know, product and growth and those business things you talked about. You know, how do you get 20,000 people to sign up for your product? How do you get 100,000 people to hear about it? How do you, you know, iterate on your copy for your website so more people understand your product and, you know, build trust around it? And so those were all processes like they're, you know, inherently learning. And so, I don't know, we're still working on that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, engineers, when they two engineers get together, they always try to think, you know, oh, 10 years down the road when we have 10 million users, <laughs> we're going to need servers. So let's build servers now. I've seen it so, so many times. Yeah. Um, that's why you need a business co-founder, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine you hear a lot of this stuff about, you know, how to hire faster and how to, you know, talk to users more and that stuff. I don't, you know, I imagine that's pretty common for this stage. Yeah, my brother is an engineer, so I hear a lot of the other stuff as well. Uh, so yeah. I completely understand your point of view as well. All right, um, major mistakes made, discussed. Let's talk about the good stuff that you've done early on. Are there any things that you know you just did back then, didn't pay too much attention to them, and nowadays, you know, a year later, you're like, okay, that move was just absolutely great. It's a great question. Um... Definitely, we made some hires that have been great, you know, people mm -hmm. who've grown into leadership roles who enjoy kind of doing architecting projects. And so our head of security, Zach, and our head of strategy, Aaron, both uh, really kind of growing into deep roles in the company where they enjoy kind of being responsible and growing kind of whole departments. They've been awesome. I think also just huge successes. We got so lucky in the funding round that we put together, both in, you know, working with Constantine at Sequoia, um, you know, great name. And uh, <laughs> Ali and Jenny at Neo, and then just an insanely helpful group of angel investors. And I realize how you know lucky we are for that, just because funding rounds are chaotic and fast, and so you could easily you know put ten angel investors together in a week, and then six months later realize that you know you didn't really kind of build effective relationships with them, or you didn't really kind of uh, I don't know bring on people who are going to be actively helping the company. All right. So in this episode, we spoke a lot about hiring. So you know what? Let's talk just a little bit more about this. You mentioned that you know you wish you hired an uh, external agency who would help you with the hiring. You would pay bonuses for people who are referring you uh, to candidates that you eventually hire, and so on and so forth. For your next hiring batch, or I mentioned that you're doing it by batches, for your next hiring efforts, let's call them that way. Are you planning to hire that agency that is going to help you with the uh, hiring process or do you plan to stick with uh, you know, your own efforts? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we now do all those things. You know, we offer free uh, referral bonuses and you know, all sorts of little prizes and Chipotle and things for referrals. <laughs> So that's, you know, that's been fun. I don't know how effective it is, although we've had friends send us some great <laughs> candidates. So that works, you know, either because of the money or they're just you know, our friends. So that's been wonderful. Um, we do also work with a couple of kind of external partners on recruiting. Some of them help with like uh, sourcing. So, you know, they'll work with us to just find some people we can email and ask if they're inter interested in uh, joining SCIF and they, you know, have experience in similar companies or in security. The other element of that is just, you know, people who are professional recruiters know the process a lot better. And so mm -hmm. you can, you know, you're not going to make mistakes sending someone an offer where they don't understand something or you phrase something in a confusing way or, you know, you omit some information or you just, you know, it's really easy to have a really poor hiring process where you, you know, you're bad about deadlines, you're bad about giving people resources at the company to speak with, or just, you know, you have too many or too few interviews. So mm -hmm. a lot of that help in building the process has been great. And I'm sure it changes a lot 
you know, as the company grows or in those first few months too. Mm -hmm. Great. Just last, very, very last question on recruitment and then we'll yeah. move on to the next subject. Uh, what do you think is the normal price to pay for recruiters? I have, to be honest, I have very little idea of how that process works and never really worked with recruiters in the past. Don't really like recruiters, but that's a different subject. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what do you think is the normal price to pay for recruiters? Do you only pay them once you hire the referral that you, they brought in or is there like a fixed fee? How does that work? That's a great question. We we now in the kind of firm we work with really just pay a amount per month to mm -hmm. spend some time, you know, a weekly check-in and we'll go over kind of candidates and process and our, inner, you know, our applicant tracker and go through each person in a detailed way. There are also plenty of firms that, you know, will say we will send you great candidates. And if you hire them, we'd like 10 or 15 or 20% of the first year salary or 25%. Nice. Um, so I think, you know, given crazy engineering salaries that probably works well for them but um <laughs> we haven't gone in that direction quite as much yeah i imagine paying 25 percent of the engineer salary just like <laughs> um, 4k right there um right. all right now that we've covered all of that good stuff moving on to the very very last question of today's episode which is a call to action so andrew what do you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over uh, that is a great question. I mean, I would really appreciate if anyone would sign up for Skiff. So if you want to test out the product, secure collaboration and notes for you and your team, uh, go to skiff.org and sign up. Especially, you know, we're looking for people and teams and early stage companies that are working with sensitive research and intellectual property and new innovation and ideas who could benefit from privacy and from security. Mm -hmm. Nice. I'll make sure to leave the link to Skiff in the description of this episode. So people, if you Thank care you. about privacy, definitely check it out. Uh, there is also going to be a link to Andrew's LinkedIn. Uh, there is also going to be a link to um, something else, I guess. I'm not 100% not sure what else is going to be in the description of this episode. I'll follow up with Andrew about that. So that's my call to action. Check out the description of this episode. There is good stuff there. And as usually, have a good day.